One of the best skills as a leader is the ability to listen. So why not have some practice with this episode of CMO Convo? To be CMO is the pinnacle of the career ladder for CMOs, right? What about CEO? Historically, that role has largely gone to people with sales or finance experience, but we're seeing more and more CEOs emerge with marketing backgrounds. So the question is, how can you do it? We're joined by one such marketer CEO, Jacob Bardsgaard, CEO of Disruptive Advertising, to share his advice on what you need to do to reach the C-suite and how to develop your skills to advance within it. You might call us biased here on CMO Convo, but we know that with the right skills and mindsets, marketers are essential to an effective C-suite. Marketers like you. That's why we want to make sure the Alliance's C-Suite Masterclass is on your radar. Whether you're looking to climb the ladder or currently an experienced marketing leader, you'll find everything you need to navigate the modern C-Suite. Across four months, you'll learn from experienced executives from leading brands like Trustpilot, Slack, Samsung, and more on how to drive results, inspire teams, and secure your place at the table. Ready to show the world what you can do as a C-Suite marketer? Check the link in the show notes for more information. Hi, Jacob. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me uh, because it's an episode about a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while, and that's sort of how do marketers become CEOs? It's a it's a topic that is very popular in our community. It seems like the natural next step for for CMOs, but it seems like a big step as well in terms of the skills that you need, the things that you need to be paying attention to in the role. So I'm very, very interested to get your insights in that. But speaking of sort of your background as a marketer, let, let's talk about your background. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, Jacob, and why you want to talk about this topic in particular today? Yeah. You know, one of the things, one of my favorite things about business is learning about people's story. And everyone's on their own adventure and it's fun to see all of the things that line up to get all of us to where we're at in this moment. And I look back on my career and it's taken me a marketing and a CEO path, but it was not what I planned for. And I think most of us can relate to that where it's, we've got the best of intentions about how our life is going to play out personally, professionally, and financially. And uh, it always, my, my experience is it surprises and delights me with a path I didn't see coming. And, and I'm grateful for that. But my background is I actually got a degree in information systems. So more of a data background. Um, I worked as a, a web analytics implementation consultant and built dashboards and helped merge databases and, and helped do all of the things that helped the marketing data talk to the customer and financial data. And that's where I got introduced to marketing was more on the data and the financial side of things. And when I saw that, wow, with great data, I don't even have to be a super creative marketer. I can actually let the data kind of lead and guide me. And so that's the hard skill set that I developed early in my career. I ultimately translated that into freelancing, then uh, building an agency and uh, as a as a team of one to begin with. And then over the last 10 years, Disruptive has grown to about an agency of 150 people. And we, we work with uh, companies all over the world uh, in terms of helping them get great data and execute great marketing strategies. And so it's been fun to kind of navigate the hard skill set, the, the, the management and leadership skill set, and then uh, leading and running a company as well. And so that's more of my background. And I've now spent a few million of my own dollars on marketing as well. And so I feel like I've got uh, a little bit of an angle as a marketer uh, that most don't have as well. Excellent, excellent. So you've got a very diverse skill set in terms of what it takes to be 
a marketer and a marketing leader. You've got that understanding of the data. You've built up that sort of business acumen as well because of that. But that is, seems like a big challenge for a lot of marketers to develop those skills, um, particularly if you've come up through, say, sort of a brand background or a, yes. a, cop, a content background, that kind of thing. It's a big step up in the C-suite in terms of what you need to be aware of in terms of marketing functions. What are the big skills that marketers need to be aware of when they're looking to step into the C-suite? Like, where where do they need to be developing their focus if they're if the beyond just like their marketing skills and the marketing know-how? Yeah, you know, I think Will, I'd, I'd kind of answer that question from two separate angles. Mm-hmm. I think that there are table stakes that, regardless of what your natural skill sets are, if you don't have some baseline skill set it's going to be hard to thrive as a marketing leader and a a future CEO as well without having that foundation and background as well. And uh, the direction that we're going, I look at that and where I see most marketers uh, plateau earlier in their career and get stuck is because they don't understand the data behind things. And that doesn't mean they need to become a data nerd or a programmer or those types of things either, but understanding the, the basics of data sets and how to stitch and tie those together to to tell a more complete story, which is tricky to do with privacy laws now and tracking issues and those types of things as well. But the marketers that I see really advance to the next level, understand how to stitch different uh, data sets together, tell a compelling narrative and help lead and guide that company in making strategic investments with their marketing dollars rather than high-fiving when they hit some some sort of vanity metrics or something that's really creative and cool, but then it doesn't translate to the business success. And so I just think that there has to be that kind of rev ops, that uh, data, that just understanding those things. I, I struggle to see marketers progress much further in their career without that as a baseline. I would also say the other skill set that is a must that a lot of marketers tend to think about more is understanding that their customer, um, really understanding their pain point, the brand story of like how we turn those customers into heroes in their own life um, and marrying that with the data of our marketing approach as well as a way that we some, come up with something that's compelling and interesting, but that also translates into the business success as well. So those are kind of like the hard skill sets that I think are necessary. And that's pretty you know high touch on those. I actually think becoming a marketing leader has a lot more to do with, a lot less to do with what we do as marketers and who we are as marketers. And um, life gives us stimulus nonstop, nonstop. Mm -hmm. And every time life gives us stimulus or some sort of experience, there is this very brief moment that exists only in like the, in the now, in the present moment where we can choose our response or we allow our natural reactions to take over. So there's no conscious choice that comes into that. And um, the marketer, the, 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 the state of being that I see propel people to places they never thought possible is actually expanding that emotional capacity to life happens, and I don't just immediately react to it. Even if it's a second, a split second, or a minute, I can pause and reflect and choose how I'm going to respond to this situation. I think more than any hard skill set, 
that is a state of being that propels marketers as leaders and transformative just people um, for the brands and businesses uh, and people that they believe in as well. That's the sweet spot. And that's how marketers get to the next level. Definitely, definitely. Those kinds of leadership skills, those kinds of constants are always going to be valuable. It doesn't matter what kind of tech that we're playing around with marketing. It doesn't matter what kind of channels that we're using, what kind of audience you're trying to reach. If you want to be a leader, you need those kinds of, that kind of ability to keep calm in chaotic situations, be able to respond to situations in a measured way. I think the last couple of years have really shown, well, they've thrown a lot of curveballs at marketing leaders, uh, to say the least. And the companies and the CMOs that have done the best out of those situations are the ones who've been able to take a, a measured, calculated response to it, rather than just doing spare of the moment, like, yeah, whiplashing between different things, different strategies, just trying to find what works, rather than thinking about what are the long-term goals and how are we going to reach them? And I think that's a real yes. important skill as a marketing leader is, sorry, <clears throat> thinking about the long-term, thinking about what is the function of marketing? How is it going to drive us towards the business goals? Not just what is the here and now, what is going to get the most engagement on social media right now? What is going to get the most traction? How is that going to move the needle towards your OKRs, towards your objectives as a business? It's got to be a very important skill to develop as a marketer. Absolutely. So within the C-suite, we're also seeing a lot more sort of splintering of the CMO role in different specialties, I suppose. You're seeing a lot more chief growth officer, chief brand officer, even chief storytelling officer, which I, I'm a big fan of as a, as a writer, writer myself. I think that sounds very cool. Does that mean we should all be looking to specialize in our career progression now? Or should we, or should we think of the CMO as the baseline, then once you're at the CMO role, then you think about how you can expand into different specialties kind of thing? What are your perspectives on that, Jacob? Yeah. My my answer to that question, and, and as other people ask me that in their careers as well, isn't always one that people love to hear, which is when we overly fixate on the outcome or the destination that we want to get to, we don't leave space to be surprised and delighted with a better outcome than we could have even imagined or, or forced an outcome for ourselves. And so what I've found over time, Will, is that the more that I resist, um, I've come up with an outcome that I really want to accomplish. And then I go through the stages of trying to control getting that outcome and, and forcing my way there. There's these moments along the way where there is this level of resistance that I can kind of just feel on the inside. And it starts to move me out of like that state of being where I'm more present, I'm not reacting to everything. And I actually start to move up more into my head, which overcomplicates everything, reacts very quickly to everything. And that's actually where the outcomes start to get what I would what I would say maybe worse or in, in a different direction than I would prefer. And most of the time that comes from resisting what our natural strengths and abilities are. Right. And so, for example, every business has different needs. And that's why there are so many of these different roles popping up. And to have someone that's more of that revenue operations marketing mind that's fantastic at data really can help put all of those things together is generally not the best at telling the story and visualizing those things as well. And so 
Imagine a life where you got what you wanted. You became the marketing leader or CEO, and you spent most of your time doing the things that you didn't like doing. Um, that you didn't feel like you were great at, but because you forced your way into the role, that that to me sounds hellish to, yeah. to step into that type of a role versus saying, well, there's really two questions. Who am I? What am I fantastic at? What gets me into that genius and flow zone? And the more I focus there, the more value I will create. And the more value I create, the more opportunities that will present themselves. Let those be what they may, right? Or if I actually force my way into a role because it felt important to me, or um, and then I get there and I actually don't feel like I'm operating naturally, I'm more reactive, it feels forced, it feels hard all the time. I wouldn't want that role anyway, even if it's what I thought I wanted to begin with. And so that's where I, my answer is a little bit more broad to say, I don't know exactly where you're going to land up as a, as a marketing leader. But when you step into that, here is where I add the most value. Here is where I shine. Here's some areas that I'm interested to be, to go on an adventure and learn more about myself, expand my skill set and those types of things as well. I've never seen that take someone somewhere that in hindsight, they weren't incredibly grateful for. <laughs> However, I have seen the inverse uh, happen quite a bit where people force their way into roles in, in a state of being that doesn't feel authentic to them. It burns them out. It literally ages them. And then they are, there is more regret down the road uh, from that as well. And so I don't think that there's any one way to get there, but I think marketers, whether they end up in some of those specialty roles or as the CEO, it's, it's more based on that individual skill set and the needs of the business. And some businesses need that marketing visionary leader to lead it forward and then surround themselves with everything else that they need. And some businesses need a great integrator and operator that are surrounded by more creative people that are supporting uh, them getting there. And I think that that's where there are just so many ways to accomplish that. Definitely, definitely. And and it's great that you mentioned burnout as well. Um, it got me thinking, we often think about this the statistic that CMOs have the shortest tenure in the C-suite. And I think a lot of the thinking behind it is that it's to do with the business side, not really understanding what marketing's for, that kind of thing. Like, and putting a lot of the blame on the business rather than being um, the person, the CMO. And I don't want to say blame, that's probably the wrong term to use, but it could be that there is just dissatisfaction with the CMO role because you are moving away from the functions, the things that are your passions, the things that you're good at, things that you got into marketing to do with in, uh, in the first place. So do, like, do you think this kind of expanding of the CMO role, the splintering off into these different specialties, you think that's going to lead to more marketers staying in the C-suite? So we're going to have a better presence on the C-suite? Is that something that's going to happen, do you think? Or do you see it happening already, really? I actually do, Will. I think that what that does, it is allows people to do more of what they're great at. And when people do what they're great at, you, you can't move on from them because they're adding so much value. And so I think that's absolutely the direction that things are going. And the more that we try to force too many things into one role and have super high expectations, that's what creates the churn and the turnover. Um, and, that, and I think that the best way to navigate that as a marketing leader 
is to own that and to make sure that we have surrounded ourselves with the right uh, people, the right tools, uh, the right environment to keep us in that state as well. And uh, the hardest thing about staying in that place is saying no to the things that would distract us from being in there. And that's where we always seem to get out of balance as, marketer, as, as marketers, because I'm of the opinion, and a lot of the data shows that the easiest people to market to are marketers. And we can get distracted and we can jump on the next shiny object pretty quickly. And it can get us out of that state. And so I think that's one of the skill sets that not only as we become more a bit more specialized and really add value where we're best at adding that value, developing the skill to tactfully and politely say no to the things that take us out of that as well, because it will only diminish our quality of life and value that we're adding. And I guess as well, you've got to be able to communicate your reasons why you're saying no to these shiny bells and whistles that are coming up, because it's not just going to be you that's paying attention to those kinds of things, like your your CEO, your manager will be taking a look at that as well. And they might have questions, they might be asking, why aren't we doing this kind of stuff? Everyone's talking about on LinkedIn, I'm seeing all these articles in Forbes. Uh, I think AI is a great topic around um, that's happening right now as of recording. So how can you get the gumption in order to say to your, your CEO, no, we're not going to use this new shiny channel. We're not going to engage with this new strategy just because everyone else is doing it. That's going to be a very hard skill set to develop, but to have that kind of confidence to be able to say no to your boss like that. It does take confidence. That's for sure. Uh, here's the good news. The good news is that the solution to that is marketing. And one of the things that marketers are the worst at is marketing their own strategy and priorities. And it's so funny to me because I have fallen into this trap countless times where it makes sense in my head. I'm excited about it. We do, we do so much work to make sure that our marketing tells a great story to our prospective customers. But then internally, we have asked that stuff all the time in terms of here's the strategy. Here's what we're prioritizing. This is why we're prioritizing that. I have considered these other options. Here's when that will fit into our consideration and or adoption with the plan. Here's why we need to do it this way because this is what's gonna get us the result that you care most about. And you hired me to get that result and I have to prioritize what's going to get us there. And we forget that we've got to market the marketing. And that's what, that's, that, is, that is a key difference, Will, between a phenomenal marketer and a, a pretty good marketer. Yeah, that internal marketing, it's one of the biggest things that we need to work on as a whole, as an industry to explain why what we do is important, why we're not doing certain things, especially. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about being able to tell stories behind the data, being able to put that together in a way that not just makes sense to yourself, but to other people within the business. You have to get a very firm understanding of other stakeholders in the C-suite, understand their priorities and how marketing fits into that. So I think that's got to be a big hurdle especially to keep track of all these different priorities, knowing what your CFO wants, knowing what your CRO wants at the same time. Is it just a case of CMOs sitting down with these different stakeholders and talking to them, or are there other steps they can take to really develop that kind of knowledge? Like how did you get to grips with all these different business functions when you were climbing the ladder? Yeah. You know, Will, it's funny what, what came up for me while you were, while you were talking is where, where the stakes seem even higher is in a committed relationship. So my mind actually went to the conversation I had with my wife on Sunday. 
we have an op once a week, we do a, a relationship review where we go over what we're grateful for about each other. What are some things that came up that feel a little unresolved from the week? You know, what's something we can give each other? And then we review our finances. And when you go through that in a relationship, there is a key to stay centered in those conversations or from personal experience, I can tell you, they can go pretty poorly, pretty fast. And one of those things is to set an intention that we all agree to, that we recenter back to anytime we find ourselves getting off track. And so this principle, I, I illustrate that because as marketers, this doesn't just apply at work. This applies at home and in our personal lives as well. And when I'm working with, there's a, we work with a lot of businesses. And as I've worked with leaders in my career as well, when we can get very, very clear on what matters most and why, and we all agree to it, that is what we can always center back to. And think about that. The marketers generally are the best at getting distracted from that. And that's why we struggle to progress the way that we'd like to. That's why your podcast exists, because a lot of people are getting stuck there. <laughs> what if all of a sudden the marketer shows up and says, hey, I thought what mattered most was this. Are we still on the same page with this is what matters most to all of us. And everyone says, you know what? You're right. That is still what matters most to us. Okay, then let's talk. Let's recenter around that. And what are we prioritizing based on what matters most that we've all agreed to? And when we step into an executive team meeting, when we step into um, a marketing uh, meeting with our teams and those types of, do not discount the power of stating the intention, stating the intention of the annual goals the quarterly goals, the monthly, whatever that might be. But don't get only focused on the measurable aspects of those intentions as well. Also establish, and how do we want to work together when it comes to this? What is our intention? Is it to feel connected and aligned? Or is it to feel frustrated and finger pointing with each other? Let's get very clear on the objective outcomes that we're all aligned to and the subjective way that we work together. And let's establish those intentions and I can guarantee you as a marketer, if you show up that way and continue to recenter everyone, you will shine brighter than you have ever as a marketer before. And people will look to you as the rock in the company that keeps us on track to what matters most. And thank goodness they're here. Otherwise, we'd be chasing our tail on these things. And gut check, marketers are usually the worst at this on the, on the, on the executive team because they will chase the most things and forget what was the intention and what are we all centered on. But you start showing up that way as a marketing leader, that's how you start stepping into more responsibilities, maybe that CEO role at some point as well, because that's what I would look for as a business leader. Definitely, and that leads me to what I wanted to say next, because that does sound very much like the skill set that, that's required to be a CEO, to be that sort of guiding force within the business. But for some reason, it seems historically most CEOs have come from a finance or a sales background or maybe a technology background as well, With a, particularly in, on the West Coast of America in Silicon Valley, that kind of thing. Why aren't more marketers CEOs? And I know you're a marketing background, you're a CEO, so you're a great example of an outlier, I suppose, of the norm. But why aren't we seeing more marketers in like the full leadership roles of companies? Yeah. I would say for most businesses, they shouldn't be. <laughs> and, and, and here's why. If as a marketer, there's a couple of things that we have to keep in mind. We just talked about centering around 
our intentions. What matters most and why? Objectively to the business and subjectively to the business. And when you say, well, what matters most, and that's stated, what is that for most businesses? It's usually revenue growth and, and or some combination of, uh, of um, profitability. It's usually some combination of those two things. That isn't what matters. Then, then we ask, well, why is that the most important thing? Why, why is that important? Um, well, we have shareholders and we have to appease those shareholders because they've invested and they expect a certain rate of return would actually be the answer to most of those questions. If you're a marketer, do you want to be the CEO of that company? It's a good question. I don't think you want to be. I don't think that's where a marketer will shine as a CEO. Here's where I think marketer should be the CEO. What matters most and why? We have a core value at our agency called the win-win-win. We kind of extrapolated Stephen R. Covey's win-win uh, from the seven habits of highly effective people. If we don't have a compelling why to everything we do that identifies how this is a win for the customer, a win for the employee, and a sustainable win for the company, we won't do it. Okay. And so when we start to say, well, we want to grow revenue and profitability. Well, why? When the answer to those questions are more, because we love the impact this is making on our customers, that's why we want to grow our revenue. We're, we're really making a difference with our customers right now. This is awesome. We want to increase profitability so that it's sustainable and we can continue to competitively compensate our people and make sure that that's a win for them. You want to be a CEO for that company, Will? That sounds like a fun company to be the CEO That's of. a fun company to be a yeah. CEO for. And as a marketer, having the courage to find those businesses and to be a transformational marketer to influence and help them come back to that. Because when you get to the seeds of most businesses, that's why they existed in the first place. And somewhere along the way, just like we do in our lives, it all became about the making the money and the growing and all of the things. And then we realized, oh, it's actually not that satisfying to grow things just to grow them. If we don't feel proud of the impact that's having to our customers, if we don't feel proud of how that's helping our people, and if it doesn't feel sustainable, that's like it doesn't feel good to be in that situation. So I think marketers actually will become more of the leaders of the future because they will start to find those brands that have more purpose, start them or join them and say, okay, I can market the hell out of that and grow this business because I love how we want to impact our customers. I love how we want to impact our employees. And we do believe it has to be sustainable financially and mechanically for that business to succeed as well. Those are the types of businesses that you will see transformational marketers become the leaders of those companies. And they, those companies will start to outpace the companies that are, we've got to meet shareholder expect, investment return expectations. Okay. And so I would say, look, everyone's on their own adventure. You might want to be a part of those companies that are more transactional and just want to grow for that reason. But I would venture to guess you're listening to this podcast because that's not who you are. You're kind of in this dichotomy of, I think I want to be a CEO and grow to the next level, but there's a part of me that doesn't feel aligned with that. That's probably why, because the why behind the business you want to do that for, you're, you're, you're not aligned to at your core, but you align yourself with a company where you do feel that alignment. That's when those opportunities start to more naturally 
present themselves and move that forward. So I'm of the belief that a purpose-driven marketer that can either help a company rediscover its why or join a company with a strong why and be more influential in leadership, those companies will start to outpace uh, by quite a bit the companies that are more transactional and return focused for their shareholders. And so I think five to 10 years from now, we actually will see a lot more marketing minded people in those C-suite and CEO roles. I think we're sort of seeing seeing examples of this already. Um, like one of my favorite brands out there, full stop is Gong. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Jacob, but um, mm. they're, they're great um, B2B brands. The branding is amazing. And it's all run by... Yudi Lerdegor, the CMO, and his CEO, who's a former marketer as well. So they've taken a very brand first, very marketing first look. And the way they built the brand is all around empathy. It's about understanding their customers and also supporting their team as well. I think that's something that marketers bring to the table in a way that other parts of business don't necessarily have that level of empathy, I suppose, is a way of thinking about it. Uh, they, they tie into what you're saying about making sure that you're leading a company to provides value to the customers and making that being the focus. And I think that's a great thing yeah. that Gong does. And I think that's an example of how, yeah, companies are evolving and moving now. And I think it's something customers expect as well. Like customers have yeah. a lot more choice than ever in terms of the brands they support, and they're going to align themselves with, with companies that share their values and share their share their expectations for their relationship between each other. And that's something that marketers bring to the table more than any other part of the business. At least my perspective, maybe I'm a little biased yeah. as a marketer, but that's my perspective on it, Jacob. Totally. And I'll tell you what, it's a hell of a lot more fun to market for that kind of a company. And the results are better. When you can connect, when you can convey that passion for the customer, when you can convey that passion for for the employees that are working there, you attract more customers, you attract top talent, all of the things that make the company sustainable with that growth. And so that's where not only is it more fun, I actually think it's the better way of doing business that drives growth that's more meaningful and objectively just better. I actually think those companies will outpace companies that don't operate that way. But Jacob, it's not just about arriving at the CEO role with a hope and a dream and a, a pocket full of, uh, of magic just. You need certain skills, certain abilities to be a CEO, even beyond bit from going from within the C-suite to a CEO. What are the big lessons that you had to learn when you first stepped into a role? What were the big things that you need to get to grips with in order to function as a CEO, basically? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It doesn't change that much from your first manager position. And... Your first manager position, I'll speak for myself, I just see this happen a lot as well. You tend to want to demonstrate to everyone that you're the right person for the job. So I've got it all figured out. I can help you solve all your problems. And then all of a sudden, your team starts to underperform. Why? Because they don't wanna work for someone that's got it all figured out. They wanna work somewhere where they can contribute and they can grow and they can shine themselves. And so I would say similar as that first manager position, stepping into a CEO role, I felt imposter syndrome and still feel imposter syndrome on a regular basis. Because when I get in, out of my heart and into my head, 
I start to feel a lot of fear and scarcity and overcomplicate things and to compensate, need to act like I have it all figured out and that we're moving forward together. I will tell you the most connecting moments I have experienced as a CEO have been in my most vulnerable moments when I have said, here's the things that I'm that I that I am concerned about right now. Here's the areas where I feel like I'm not doing a great job. Here's the areas as a company that I'm not sure how to solve some of these challenges that we're dealing with right now. And it took so much courage to go there with the team. But every time I do that, Will, and this doesn't, again, I will always say this doesn't just apply at work. This applies in our personal relationships as well. Every time I go there, the response that I get is, whoa, if he can be vulnerable, I can be vulnerable. And that area that he doesn't feel like he can do a great job with, I actually can do a great job with. And all of a sudden, you get a team effort of moving those things forward, rather than a CEO that's trying to brute force everything forward and, and be the person that has it all figured out. And so I keep learning in life and my personal and professional relationships and in my leadership roles, that that vulnerability and that doesn't mean I don't have confidence and vision in, in the direction that we're going, but to show up and say, and I don't have all the answers, and that's why you're all here. Can we work together to come up with something great where everyone can help contribute to that? Then all of a sudden, you've got an executive team that is ready to rock and roll and move some really cool things forward. And it seems to happen in stages where just because you go through that process once, and this is the, this is the trap that I fall into all the time. Well, I was already vulnerable last week. Why would I need to be vulnerable again this week or this year? <laughs> and um, because it's a little scary, it's scary for my ego to go there, you know? But what I've found is that you generally have these cycles as a business where the growth starts to come, you, you work through all of those things, you're vulnerable, you rally the team, everyone starts lifting where they stand and you have a really great growth phase of the business. And then you kind of run into all of the similar limitations again, and the process kind of repeats over and over again. And I actually think that the business community at large right now is going through those stages of this is the time to be vulnerable. This is the time to rally together because business isn't as easy as it was a year or two ago. <laughs> Broadly speaking, some industries are the exception to that. And this is our opportunity to do that. As an aspiring marketing leader and, and, and a future CEO, this is an opportunity to practice that. Not to be the one that has it all figured out and, no, and doesn't really need anyone's help, but the person that says, here's what we're dealing with. I don't know how to solve all of this. Let's rally together and solve this together. What, an, what a beautiful time to practice that. And even though we can be fearful of slower times, from an economic standpoint, they're the best times, Will, because that's where we learn and grow the most. And we wouldn't even know how to appreciate the good times without going through some of these challenges that we do as marketers right now. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's it's pressure that makes diamonds out of coal at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you're only used to being a marketer in the, the halcyon days with unlimited budgets and being able to just throw whatever you want at the wall and see what sticks, you're not going to develop your skills. You're not going to develop as a leader, as a marketer, as a person as in your career, you need to be able to manage yourself through the rough times to yeah, enjoy the good times. So I think that's a great note to sort of close things out with Jacob, but I wanted to maybe get like, just to tie everything together, maybe a golden rule for 
the people who are aspiring to the C-suite, a golden rule for people who are in the C-suite, and a golden rule for people who are looking to move into that CEO role in the near future. Yeah. Well, tell you what, I'll give you a three for one. I'll, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning, which is in each of those scenarios, you will be surprised and delighted with what life brings to you when you practice the skill set of not reacting to everything life brings to you, but pausing and making a conscious choice of how you choose to respond to everything that life is bringing you. And I think that applies at all three of those levels and will help keep you on a beautiful life adventure the whole time. And that's where I would say focus more on that because that's more of a being instead of focusing on all of the doing that you can do. Because that inner knowing and when you're in that state of, whoa, this was a really good or a really bad month. And instead of just reacting to that, I'm now reflecting and choosing my and, and making a conscious choice for moving forward. I've never been let down. It's always clear what the next step is. It's not always clear what the 10th step is from now. But every time I pause and say, this is what I'm experiencing. How do I choose to respond? The next step always becomes clear in that moment. And that's how you stay on a really cool adventure. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thank you, Jacob. That's not just great advice for your career, great advice for your personal life, as you said. So thank you very much. And I, I look forward to exploring my adventure based on those principles as well. I'm certainly feeling very inspired and I'm sure our audience is as well. So thank you very much for joining us today, Jacob. All right. Thanks, Will. Appreciate it. And thank you to our audience as well. Um, we'll be back soon with some more CMO convos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.